This episode of Meaningful Conversations is brought to you by Wix.com. With Wix, you can show off your talents and experience by building a beautiful website that you love. You can promote your business, showcase your art, set up an online shop, or just test out new ideas. The Wix website builder has everything you need to create a fully personalized, high-quality, free website. Wix offers powerful features for your website, like designer templates, mobile optimization, and personalized SEO. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. So create yours today and get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Meaningful Conversations to get 10% off. So don't lose the 10% off. I'm Maria Shriver, and this is Meaningful Conversations. On every episode, we'll take a journey into the lives of inspiring, thoughtful, thought-provoking people. People who are smart, spirited, and spiritual. People who have done extraordinary things to make a positive impact on our world. These are people I respect and admire. People who inspire me. I want them to share their stories, their experiences, their wisdom, and their feelings with you. I hope we can come together in community to reflect on the issues and topics that we're all thinking about, but no one seems to be talking about. I hope that you're inspired to have more meaningful conversations with the people in your life. This episode of Meaningful Conversations is really special to me because this week I get to share with you the voices of my dear friends, John Bon Jovi and his wife, Dorothea. I've known them for years, years and years and years, and I adore them. They both have been great friends to Special Olympics. They've actually raised millions of dollars for Special Olympics through the very special Christmas albums. And I wanted to talk to them, uh, not about John's touring or his music, but about the really life-changing work they're doing with Soul Kitchens. It's total architect of change work, uh, God's work. And I wanted you all to hear about what moves them, what motivates them, what inspires them. And I hope you will find this conversation incredibly inspiring as well. John and Dorothea, they have built an incredible life together. They have, they're a great team. And once again, they're doing great soul work. So I'm sitting here with two people who are working on what I call the front lines of humanity, changing lives one soul at a time. They happen to be married. They happen to be friends of mine. And I happen to be really excited to talk to John and Dorothea Bon Jovi about uh, life, about uh, how they're spending their lives, what they're doing with their lives. And uh, I want people to hear about what they're doing because I think sometimes we don't focus on things other than maybe what John is doing. So I wanted to start with you, Dorothea. And I always say that Dorothea is the only person I know in my kind of broader life that reminds me I'm on television because she texts me or sends me an email and said, <laughs> I saw you on TV. Nobody in my family ever texts me anymore. So Dorothea's well, taking the place of my mom. I want you to know you're doing a great mom. job. Yeah. 
I appreciate that. Right. Well, we all need a little yeah. pat a boy, pat, pat on the back, right? Amen. That's right. So. And my mother was the only person I used to, every time I was on TV <laughs> when my mother was alive, I got she was the first phone call. Good. And now you're the only I say text. that Eunice Driver <laughs> is my spirit animal. Okay, let's talk. Let's start there. That's a really good place to sp- to start. Eunice Shriver is your spirit animal. What 100%. do you mean by that? Well, because who impacted the world like your mother did? I mean, changed the world for people living with disabilities, right? Without a lot of fanfare, without you know, kind of banging a drum, just quietly doing the work that she was doing. I mean, pretty pretty impressive. Creative and how did she inspire you? Well, I think that, you know, people say, oh, you should run for office, you should do this or that. It's not necessary. You can have a, a, I mean, not that I'm comparing myself to your mother by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, your mother, like I said, just impacted the world for people with disabilities around the world in her lifetime. So when I emailed with John, he said, Dorothea is my Eunice. Yeah. (laughs) I call her Eunice all the time. Yeah. But that's... She respond to that? (laughs) Of course, because we both understand. Look, as you know, and your listeners may not, but we knew your mom and yes. your dad. We yes. knew them very well. And so we've always used you as uh, we've looked up to you. Oh for my God, all I the just years sound of, so old. No, but how, for, how long have we oh been my friends? God, we've been know. friends a long yeah. time. Yeah. And we'd always say, Maria's the bar, Maria's the bar, yeah. Maria's 100%. the bar. 100%. And having wow. known your mom and your dad and realizing, of course, where you got it from, both of them. <laughs> And we know what your mom did creating the Special Olympics. And uh, it wasn't a celebrity-driven, right, pretty. Right. Sexy, it started in their no. backyard. Right. Yeah. You know, she created a movement around the globe. And at, when we would go to the Special Olympics opening ceremonies with presidents and stadiums and did those records and the concerts and all Amen. the things over the years, you know, we, we got to be around your mom and your dad. And then, of course, your family, your mm-hmm. family, the Shriver family, right. as a result of Great that. Great friends brother, of Bobby. Brothers and yeah. and you, of course. And so your mom was a, it was a huge beacon of light. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have a letter in my office that's that's framed from your mom that she wrote oh. to me for my work in, in the Olympics. It's, it sits in my office and you know, amongst the letters from presidents over the years. So your mom was a huge part. And therefore... With what Dorothea has created, which is not sexy, it wasn't the cool thing, it's not the celebrity thing. We created something that didn't exist, which was the Soul Kitchens. And she's doing it, and now it's going to a next level. And so, you know, it, it's an internal joke, but I, I always, I, Eunice, 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 and I tell her that. And that's when they write her book someday. Which is never going to happen. It but will. He keeps and when insisting it does, that. I mean, he's going to write it himself, I think, at this for point. For you. <laughs> and it'll be huge. No, but what I said, I read in an interview that John said, look, at, I get all the credit for the Soul Kitchens, but Dorothea does all the work. Correct. And so I want people to understand the work of changing a person's life. And mm-hmm. I say one soul at a time, mm-hmm. because I think that's how people's lives get changed. One soul, one heart at a time. Right. So the co- talk about the concept of the soul kitchen and how you know it's working. Well, we see it every day when we're there. And John has done a ton of work and has worked in the homelessness you know, arena. And has so he can't just say, oh, you know, building houses, building houses, absolutely. impacting people's lives on a very, in a very big way. But through the, home, right? Through, through giving home. someone a home. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing to give someone who, yeah, and it's not just here's your house. It's like here's wraparound services so that you can maintain your house and you learn how to keep your house. And so, you know, the, the foundation's done a, a ton of work around that. And then with the Soul Kitchen, you know, we see it from 
our thing is we meet people where they're at. So we're not trying to quote unquote fix anybody. It's like if you come in, very basically you get a meal. So if you volunteer, you become part of our community, we learn about you, we direct you to resources, services, and that's like the basic, that's kind of how it works. And then from there, at whatever the need might be, mental illness, addiction, you know, we're, we're always trying to just feel that onion of what people are dealing with. And it's a matrix of situations for people. But really, it's not only that you give people a meal and you actually don't give them Correct. a right. meal, right? right. So uh, I, I think that's a really important distinction, what mm-hmm. you're doing with Soul Kitchen. First of all, you're creating community 100%. there. So like I can go and sit down next to somebody who has absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And in order to get their meal, I can either pay it forward and buy a meal. Right. Or if they're eating there in exchange for food, they're working. Correct. So talk about why that was so important, because it's not like, here, have a meal and right. go no, on this about is your a, day. Right. This is uh, about dignity. It's about human dignity. I have yet to meet someone who strives to be homeless, strives to be unemployed, You know, even with this work, furloughed workers. Mm-hmm. People who are coming in, they still want to give back. They still want to volunteer. They still want to be part of something. People want their dignity. People don't want to just get stuff for free. Most right. people that I have met, that is not what they choose to do. They, they want to come in. They want to be part of something. They want to give back. Everyone can contribute in some way, whether you're disabled, as, you know, in Special Olympics, right. people can contribute. And, and they want to feel that they are doing their part in society. And that's, that's what we see is people come in, whether they fold napkins, shovel snow, wash windows, whatever it is that we might need help with around the restaurant, people are more than willing to help. And you guys help too. Oh, yeah. You guys mm-hmm. work in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. John, I read in some of the interviews that you where you've talked about Soul Kitchen that how important it is first to put people like you guys or me or anybody else next to someone who's homeless and that we wouldn't necessarily go to eat in a soup kitchen, right? Yeah. Ours is to, to get out of your mind the mental picture of a soup kitchen. This is not institutionalized at all. There's there's windows and it's a it looks like a bright bistro. The other thing that people don't know who have never been in this situation is you may be sitting to somebody who has financial woes, right? So they're coming and they're participating in this model, but you're never going to know it. So again, take out of your mind's eye the guy that's in the movies with the shopping cart on the street that's suffering from mental illness. Now, granted, we have some of that, Mm -hmm. but what we really are dealing with, like in our Tom's River location where Dorothea was serving lunches today, is you have the bluest of blue collar, the hardest working Americans who are just making ends meet. They don't have a, a great savings, you know. So they're coming because we're a resource. And then you complicate the situation because of the the, the, the furloughed workers. So you're seeing these working, hardworking people yeah, come lot. into our, our restaurant. So inclusion was a huge part of the model. What what differentiated us from a soup kitchen where it's government subsidies, we don't have any of that institutionalized foods, you know, from from big cans of, you know, processed foods, none of that. There's no french fries, there's no candy bars, there's no soda pop, there's no alcohol. It's all farm to table, wow. bistro service, waiters, silverware, dishes and inclusion. So when you're going to bus a table, You've earned your meal and you've earned the right to feed your family on, you know, by coming and including. But when you, Maria Shriver, want to come and affect change directly, Mm -hmm. pay it forward. Pay a couple of bucks into our 
$20 pays for your meal and the guy next to you. You want to directly affect change. Because how many times have we all given a donation to something yeah. and wondered where it went? Yeah. Administrative costs or just, you know, what, whatever it is that, that, that hinders the dollar directly from getting to the people. You want to directly affect change? 20 bucks just paid for your meal and the guy next to you. And that guy's earned his meal. And that was a big differential. When we created this model all those years ago, the first pilot program was in a church basement. And the church embraced the model, but said you have to bring in your dishes and your forks and your knives and your food. And at the end of the service, take it all with you. Okay, that was nice and we appreciated it, but that was a lot of work. We went down the same street to a food uh, a soup kitchen that was closed on weekends. Talk about institutional. There weren't windows. It's not a very welcoming environment. Yeah. It was, you know, government subsidized food. It wasn't good or good for you. The kind of clientele on the same block was a 180 degree difference. And those who were feeling the entitlements of, of soup kitchens where yeah. they're, they're not embracing any kind of a model, they're just coming there for food. They were distant. And then what happened was when we said to them, look, this is not a soup kitchen on Saturday and Sunday. There's a tablecloth here for a reason. There's silver and platters and food, but we need your help because we're washing the dishes. Yeah. When they got that model, there wasn't even a, a, a big hug or a conversation, but they not only did it, but did it in such a way that they knew that they had their dignity getting that meal. They participated. So yeah. when we went on the same block, the third step on the same block to our current location, mm -hmm. it was an auto body shop. It was yucked. It was yucked. <laughs> there were yeah. three bays, three cinder block walls. Dorothea walked in there and says, I see the vision. So we turned it into this place. Again, that took a little acclimation from the locals. Well, it, it takes education because it was a new model. So people right. have to understand you're not a soup kitchen, yep. you're not a restaurant, but we are a restaurant posing as a social mission. So people have to understand this is a completely new concept. So people... I would correct, not posing. <laughs> no, you're, you're a restaurant right. with you're a purpose. With you're a, a restaurant yes. with a mission. Absolutely. Right? Correct. So right. it's it's uh it's maybe it's the clear. other way around. We're a social mission posing as a restaurant because that yeah. the food is the vehicle to get people inside so that we can kind of help them uh, get to the next level. So it was a new concept and it was it was not something people thought, oh, it's a vanity project, oh no. it's they're not really doing their mission. But on any given day, we are probably fifty percent of our people are in need and fifty percent of the people are paying. So what is the biggest misconception? Uh, that what hunger got, looks like. Yeah, yeah. what hunger yeah. and homelessness, And right? homelessness. Most yeah. people feel that people, A, want to be homeless. People are lazy. People don't want to work. They just want entitlements. Uh, you could not live on food stamps in this country. And where we live in, where the Soul Kitchen is in Red Bank, the um, real cost of living is about $76,000 a year for a family of four. To be considered living in poverty, it's $24,000. So, so to qualify for any kind of services, it's $24,000. So you've got a $50,000 gap where people don't, uh, you know, they, don't, they can't apply for anything. So those are people who never go on a vacation. These people aren't living large. They're just trying to get by. And Soul Kitchen is that resource where they could come once a week, you know, stretch their bills. Because people are saying, oh, am I going to pay my doctor bill? Am I going to buy, pay my heat bill? Or am I going to feed my family? 
So do you think that, and I know you went down and because we're having this conversation during the government shutdown, and stepped up yourself in that space and said, you know, I'm going to feed, you know, government workers. And I think even with this government shutdown, people think, oh, a government shutdown, it's only affecting congressmen and senators. And they don't realize- Your FDA, your IRS, your Coast TSA. Guard, TSA. Coast Guard. Yeah. Coast Guard the uh, TSA, I think they 30, said, make $30,000 a year. Who could go a month without their paycheck on $30,000 a year? Somebody said, I remember when I was doing the documentary Paycheck to Paycheck, mm-hmm. a woman said to me, you you don't know how hard it is to be poor. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And, and that's the other thing that people don't realize. People who are struggling just to pay those bills, it's very difficult to plan your life. One car, you know, break down one flat tire or whatever it is that it just, you know, throws the whole family into disarray. So where do you get the hope? I mean, because you're down there, you're, you're having, you know, building this restaurant, building this community, building conversation, building hope. And, you know, so many people feel pretty hopeless today, hopeless about our country, hopeless about our government, hopeless about the divide. Well, I always say it's, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with all the negativity that we see. But, and everyone says it too, but at the end of the day, when we all sit down and I think breaking bread is the way that we break down those barriers. And when I see people who didn't know each other before they came to the restaurant, sit down, you can tell everyone's a little uncomfortable, but by the end, they are exchanging phone numbers. They are, you know, telling each other about resources. They are supporting each other. That is, uh, that's the humanity of America that I see every day. People who want to help each other, people who want their dignity, people who aren't just looking for, you know, how can I get by on, I mean, you know, maybe people come in and take advantage. I've never seen it. And most people don't want to do that. So you you feel like you're not People aren't coming in and like using it Absolutely and not giving not. back. Not Absolutely at all. not. And and even for the furloughed workers who are going without paychecks, so many of them said to me, I'm coming back and I'm volunteering when I start getting a paycheck. Or we had other workers That's that great. had been furloughed, you know, previously and they said, I'm not furloughed. Here's a donation because I know what it's like to to be furloughed and, and have that hanging over your head. Don't go away. We'll have more of the conversation in just a moment. But first, let's talk about one of our sponsors. Meaningful Conversations with Maria Shriver is brought to you by Swell Investing. Do you know what your 401k is invested in? It turns out many retirement accounts are invested in companies and industries that aren't making a positive impact on our society. Swell Investing was created to change that. Swell is an online impact investing platform that builds portfolios of stocks from high-growth potential companies working towards progress. With Swell, you can align your investments with the issues you care about, from renewable energy to disease eradication or clean water. So invest in the planet's future and your financial success at the same time by opening up an IRA with Swell today. The best news? Investing in an IRA now can increase your tax return for 2018. You have until April 15th to max out your contributions. That's making money and making a difference. Visit swellinvesting.com meaningful to start investing with your values in mind. Do it today for a $50 bonus when you open an account. Swell, invest in progress.
Now let's get back to the conversation. So the the title of this podcast is Meaningful Conversations, and I'm a big believer in meaningful conversations, connections, because I think that's why we're here and it's what makes us feel feel connected (laughs) as human beings, right? So I want to, since I love and admire both of you, I want to ask where you find meaning yourself in your day-to-day life. Giving back, I've, I, you know, yeah. I find purpose. It's so much more than singing in a rock and roll band. I mean, that's that was wonderful to get everything else that we've gotten out of yeah. life, right? It gave me the opportunity to do so many other things. But the the, the idea that you're giving back in a, in a meaningful, purposeful way, mm-hmm. and what I always say is I didn't need a scientist to find the cure because all we're doing is feeding folks, you know, breaking bread, as we say. That, to us, has been as purposeful as you know my career has been in it's as it's as satisfying in many many ways you leave the kitchens and you think wow that was that made me feel good i'm exhausted yeah. from it by the way yeah you know you think oh washing dishes how hard can that be <clears throat> stand on your on your feet for a few hours and do that and then you go holy christmas that's hard work you know yeah but it's it it really gives you a, um, a joyful feeling in your heart to know the lives that we've affected, lives that we've changed, the sense of community when these folks that that come and they volunteer on a weekly or sometimes daily basis, they have someone to talk to. You know, yeah. a lot of those who don't understand something like the Soul Kitchen, the their opinions are based in fear because they've never been in a situation like that. And I had had people years ago say, oh, there's no hungry people in Monmouth County, New Jersey. Oh, there's no homeless people here. How could that be? They just didn't know. So it's yeah. fear-based, right? It's just, it's lack of initiative to go out and figure it out. So then they say, well, I'm not coming to the restaurant. Well, why? You know, some will say, there, there's nothing there for me, or I, I don't know what it is, so I'm afraid to go there. And when you realize that you get such joy out of meeting your neighbor in a yeah. communal setting, you'll want to come back. You you really will. I've often said this too, and I won't hog the microphone, but if you don't volunteer in the model and you just came to, to give money and have a meal and leave, you sort of feel like you're missing out on the party. You know, you yeah. want to take part in, in what this model is, this creation is. I was talking to Hoda Kotbe on this conversation, and she said that she sat down next to a man on an airplane when she was struggling with breast cancer, and this was a total stranger sitting next to her, and he started to pepper her with questions, and she was tired, and she just had you know, surgery, and she was grumpy, and so he was kind of cheery, oh, I met you, know, you, you work on one of the Today Shows, what's your name, blah, 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 and uh, she had a compression thing on her hand, and he's like, well, what do you, why do you have that on? She said, well, I was sick, I had an operation. He goes, what operation? She was like, oh, you, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and then she's like, okay, listen, I had breast cancer, and I don't want you to get off of this plane and feel bad for me, and just think, oh, I sat next to a woman with breast cancer, and he said, let me tell you something. He goes, don't hog your journey. Just made me think about it. He goes, don't hog your journey. You have no idea how many lives you can affect by mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about this. Right. And it seems to me, I just love that it kind of gave, she told the story a little bit better than I just did, but it gave me goosebumps because mm. the idea that, you know, you're sharing your journey, mm-hmm. you're not hogging your journey, mm-hmm. and you're allowing others in the restaurant to share theirs. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives us goosebumps. Right. 
And that's what brings meaning to your life. Mm. And it brings meaning to their lives because right. they are able to share it and yeah. uh, and not feel isolated. And also, you, you don't know how it's going to impact somebody else. Amen. That's what I, I say yeah. because people come up to me all the time and go, you know, I can't find my purpose. I can't find my purpose. And they're so anxious about not being able to find their purpose. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what brings you meaning? That's a right. kind of a less... right. right volatile word or something. It's just like, well, I enjoy like art or I enjoy cooking. Or mm -hmm. I said, like, follow that, mm -hmm. follow that and maybe take that to the next step. And so how did you kind of follow uh, you know this what? It was just like this food. Yeah, it ooh, was ooh, this crazy ooh, thing. I know the no, I know the answer too. <laughs> uh, he was raising his hand, watching... but I'm going to call him the girl. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching uh, Brian Williams, and he oh. was doing a making 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 a difference. Yeah, you know segment. when he used to do when that. It was segment. only once a week. Yeah, that's right. At the and, end of the show, mm -hmm. right? And we it only was... have time for one make a difference. And there's only, only one happy one story. One happy story. So this happy story was about a diner in. Denver that was doing, it was a community restaurant. And this is kind of a movement across the country where they do a pay what you can type of model. And, you know, they would give people, you know, food and then people would leave them a few cents if they couldn't pay or, you know, whatever. Right. And I just became obsessed with this idea of what if it was a beautiful restaurant where people could get healthy food? Because the other side of poverty is obesity because cheap food is so unhealthy and it's horrible for you. Okay. So I thought, what if we, you know, you could have beautiful gardens growing food out front and you could feed people and show them what the proper serving sizes were. And I kind of just became obsessed with this idea and I started calling everyone I knew who had a restaurant and I said, how much does it cost to start a restaurant? How do you do it? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, people were very happy to help and that's the other side of it. People want to help. And we started with a pilot program because we didn't know what else to do. And we walked into a, the local church, like John said, and they had a giant kitchen where you could probably make a hundred meals. And they said, would you think this would work? And we said, yeah, I think this will work. And we just, um, we set out surveys because we didn't just, you know, we wanted to see would people react to this type mm -hmm. of model? Would people be interested in doing this? And we uh, surveyed the population in the church and, and they had a food pantry there. And so that's who we, who our first clients were, were uh, people from that food pantry. And you just kept going. And we did it one day a week. One. And at that model, 60% of the people were in need, but 40% of the paying customers were covering the costs. 60% so were, were in need, and 40% were paying. covering the costs of that. So we thought, oh, this could be something that people would get behind. So now you get to say, you, you raised your hand, and you get to expand okay. on what she said. It's your turn. Well, taking a step back, <laughs> when, when I started the foundation, it was under the guise of sports ownership. Many, many years ago, I used to own a, an arena football team, and I thought, what would differentiate me You're from... You're a frustrated NFL owner. As you know. Not yes, anymore. as I know. No Not longer. anymore? No. no. Oh, okay. My scars have He's healed. over it? Yeah. Yes. It, that lasted a long time. I know it did. Okay, but we're over but it. When we started com. the okay. foundation... <laughs> We tried to find something that would that we got involved in ultimately, which was the homeless issue. And having met Sister Mary Scullion down in Philadelphia, yeah. we started with homelessness, and 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 that was going well. And in truth, we built the first couple of homes, and then the first couple of hundred homes. And whenever I would tell our friends, you know what I'd get? At a boy, at a boy. Nobody was excited about it, and I knew we were affecting change, and I knew we were making a difference in those few hundred families lives but a lot of our friends would say ah that's nice well when we're watching that brian williams segment it, it was during the economic downturn it was mm -hmm. at the end of 2008 and dorothea realized when the tax credits were drying up partnerships were drying up we weren't building as much anymore 
She says, we have to feed those same people. And that, I mean, this was like stream of consciousness off the couch. She was possessed because this whole thing came out of her mouth in, in, in that weekend. And one thing led to another. Now it was these couple hundred homes. I know how we can feed a community based on having this issue of homelessness. And now it was feeding them. And then when we, you know, worked the pilot program, then to the soup kitchen, then to the first location, then to the second location, where she took it even to another level was when you sat with those people around the tables and they opened up to you, mm -hmm. that's when you started to realize it was more than breaking bread. Now there was job training. There was, I haven't been in the workplace because of the economic downturn in 15 years. I don't know how to fill out a resume again. I don't know how to apply for a job. I'm in my mid forties, let's yeah. pretend, right? For the yeah. sake of conversation. So now we had to think about service providing. So in our second location, we brought under one roof, the food pantry, so mm -hmm. people could get groceries, the food bank, so people could push pallets, and these are volunteer opportunities for our restaurant, a culinary program, and a service provider. So that's all under that one beat? roof. Yeah, the that's beat the center, beat center. Yes. bringing yeah. everyone all together. I love that. And that beat. was us. You know, bringing we, we... everyone all together, <laughs> right. B-E-A-T. Because again, who would have thought, but when we created the first Soul Kitchen in our little bistro, we would say, do you know that there's a service provider in the industrial park, which is located on Parkway Exit 105? And they'd say, how do you think we are going to get there? We're in and suburban time, right? New right. Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. How there do we get no there? public transportation. And when there. we started to think of these things, we went, oh my goodness. How do we get things under one roof? How do we, you know, give them the opportunities to do these things while creating volunteer opportunities, while feeding people, creating community? So we created the Beat Center. And if we can just go back to what John was saying about that program about resume writing. Right. Someone called us out of the blue and said, I worked with Goldman Sachs. I'm taking care of my two elderly parents. My mother has Alzheimer's, but I'd love to get out and help people with their resumes. I didn't wow. even know what HR was at the time. I was like, yeah, sure, come on over. So she started working with our underemployed and unemployed volunteers. And wow. like John said, with resume writing, and that is now a whole program with 14 HR professionals who volunteer their time, financial advisors, legal advisors, resume writing, because these were middle management people, like John said, who had never, like they didn't know how to, apply online because mm -hmm. they had never done that. They hadn't gone to a job interview in 20 years and had no idea how to kind of navigate that. So we created this program and that program has a 97% success rate in getting people job offers. Wow. Yeah. When you, when you say all this and you're, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you. All, and you're you, like, um, Dorothea, you were such a mess up when I knew you were in California. No. You were so crazy. <laughs> no, but, no, I wasn't thinking that at all, actually. I was thinking how proud I am oh, of you. Oh, and so I was wondering if you feel fed by this, so to speak, uh, since you're talking about feeding others. Do you feel fed by this? Do you I, feel... I do it. It's a byproduct of what we do because I'm more that, like what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Like, we've yeah. got to do more. We've got to do more. And how do we end poverty? And what do we do about mental illness in this country? And, you know, so there's always, you know, things to be done. But I definitely, like today when we were down in Tom's River and, you know, we're feeding people and, and like John said, that's a very working class, hardworking, oh, I don't need the help. Those people need the help kind of people. Like, they're so proud. That's where you guys come from, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the people are so proud. And it's just, 
you know, it just makes you cry when you see people just wanting to give back to their neighbors and they're just getting by themselves. I mean, it's powerful. I'm, w- I'm wondering, actually, do, when you said you're, oh, I bet you're sitting there thinking, <laughs> I'm a, you know, mess up. I'm actually going back. I never really had that impression of you. Did you feel, no, I'm just actually asking, did you feel like, you know, it takes, like Hoda was saying, you know, and she was saying, you know, I'm 54 and I feel like I'm finally... Yeah. Got it. I yeah. find, and I'm, well, I feel like I've had like seven lifetimes. Like I think when we lived, when we had our yeah. house in Malibu, that was such a different time. Our kids were little, you know, we were just starting our family. And then, you know, then your kids go to school. I, you know, I kind of base everything around and then, you know, around our kids. And then it's like, and now, now, you know, I'm 50 and I start this thing. Like, what was I thinking? But it was, uh, you know, it's been very fulfilling. And I think it does make you feel good to give back. It's not necessarily the motivation. Mm-hmm. You're trying to, you know, make a change, but it definitely just, it feels like such a long lifetime ago when we were in California. But I think that what's, I think, inspiring about that is that, as I said, you meet, I meet people all the time, as I know you do, and everybody's so like, I got to get this before I'm 30, you know, like I got to yeah. make this money. I got to find what I'm doing. I got to find it. I got to find it, which is, I think, what fueling so much anxiety that we see. Not yeah. only we have kids around the same age, there's so much anxiety and young people. But I meet, you know, women my age younger who are just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Where's my purpose? What am I, I can't find it. And to kind of know that you have multiple mm-hmm. lifetimes, mm-hmm. right? It's a marathon. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? It's a and, journey. It's definitely, there's no destin, There's no destination. It, it, it's a journey. That's what I tell my kids all the time. It's like, you might get that job or, and you think that's it, but that's just like the choice you've made now until the next choice comes along. You know, it's, I think for all of us, it's just, it's, it's the journey. What is this difference? Do you think John uh, has made in Dorothea? Oh, I think it's, it's changed her. As I look back on those mid nineties, when we were in California, the charity was never in, uh, you know, our own or foundation, these restaurants. They were never on my mind at the time. I mean, if you think about how I was coming to you about yeah. the movie business, yes. right? You know, I was it's like, a- all right, music leads to movies, movies leads to California. Okay, let's do this. So none of this was on our radar. Then I asked my wife to move to New York, you know, and, and 10 years ago. And we after moved, you built a house in New Jersey. After we built a, you know. <laughs> a beautiful, a beautiful home in New Jersey. A ridiculously, <laughs> you know, nice home. But we never lived there. We're never there. But then the the foundation, and I wasn't going to own the uh, football team any longer, took on another life with the restaurants. And then Dorothea not only created the model, but then said, I'm going to take this aspect of the foundation. And then I think it's become, you know, a big part of what she does now. Because well, But I, I would say that you always did charity. Like you would raise... Well, I did. I yeah. did, I did, did things, but I'm just saying it's a one-hour right. foundation. This is yeah. social to me. This right. is not... We're not this is not charity. Right. No, this no. is social justice. And this isn't right. lending my name to something like, you know, all the work we did with the Olympics. Yeah. This is different. This is our thing that we created that is unlike anything else that exists, period. So mm-hmm. we created that, that needle in the haystack. But Dorothea's identity to it is what made it unique. It's the soul kitchens that has made us that one in a million. When Hurricane Katrina happened and I called your friend Oprah, right? And I embarrassed her on national TV and I took a check out of my pocket and we built houses. Right. Again, an attaboy. That was a seven-digit check that I took out of my pocket. (laughs) That you had earned. (laughs) Yeah. And and everybody, oh, attaboy. But when we created the soul kitchens, we never envisioned this 20 years ago. And now I think it's given Dorothea this great purpose-driven life that is is just helping her and us and it grow. 
what well, do you we're affecting change. That is, you said you you know built all these houses, you gave money, and you got an attaboy. And it's and, okay. It and, wasn't no, no, for no. But any, I'm right. saying, what are you getting now? Are you getting a wow? Oh, everyone oh, wants yeah. to start one. Everyone's like, that is the greatest thing. How do I how do I do that? Oh yeah, that's what we get all the time. So now is the vision franchises. Well, it's a whole nother conversation, but right. that we're okay, we're on to something now. You're on to something <laughs> big. You're you're into now. Wow. We're really going to something. <laughs> yeah, bigger than big. Like I'd said before, and it'll just be you'll come back to this when we'll come back to this in a year. Those who um, believed in the restaurant but weren't sure because of the unfamiliarity of the model mm-hmm. uh, to to not come. There would be many a folk who said, "I'll give you money, but I'm not coming." And I'd say, I need you to come. I need you to support and to, to feel a part of this community. The create community. I didn't need their money. It wasn't what it was about. It's a small restaurant. So that when we built the second one, you know, again, we, we, we broadened it. Now, with what we're going to do is uh, it's, it's bigger and better than franchise. But again, it's, that it's, it's finding the issue and tackling it head on and not needing a scientist to find a cure. That's our bumper sticker. Yeah, because you didn't, you you went in and started small, like mommy started in the yeah. backyard. Yeah. You started small, you asked the questions, and it became a passion. So mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, you ran around and said, I need to find my purpose. I oh, no, my no, purpose. no, 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 no. That's it was very organic. Said. This whole thing has been extremely organic in right. the way that it, and then once you put it out there, you know, then we had a farmer come and say, here's an acre of land you can you know, you can grow your own vegetables. And, you know, it's that it's that kind of thing. You just kind of put it out there in the universe. So they're going to come back uh, when we have part two of this and talk yeah. about the big, bigger, <laughs> big. But I don't want to leave without just saying that, you know, obviously I said that we were friends. And one of the things I've always admired about the two of you is the two of you. Is oh, the two Maria. of you. It's true. The two of you. And so I think it's uh, uh, really interesting to people and to me uh, how you keep your relationship meaningful, your kids, you've got four kids, and their family, your family, their family is front and center. So how do you think you've done that? Because uh, that's heroic. Really. Well, I think because we've known each other for so long, and I think that we came from the same kind of background, uh, grew up in the same town, have those same kind of values, value the same things. You know, we love our family, and I think that's always been our priority. And I think that that's, you know, kind of, you know, it's not as glamorous as people want to think that your life is. You know, we're pretty, we try to stay normal. I mean, I don't know how normal we are, but we try to stay grounded. (laughs) I thought of, you know, I I don't know, I saw uh, Glenn Close at the Golden Globes, you know, when she won for The Wife. And I've spoken to so many women about the speech she made where she said, you know, I spoke to my mother at the end of her life and she said, you know, I've done nothing. And that so many women felt of her generation, our generation, others that they end up in the wife or the mother role. And society doesn't kind of Add a boy that, yeah, that's mm-hmm. add a girl mm-hmm. that role, right. yeah. and then add on fame for the guy, mm-hmm. right, or the girl. Mm-hmm. And so, how have you navigated that? I have never been that person who, like, to get me to come on this podcast, Maria. Yeah. It was basically, I think, well, <laughs> I, 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 I no it was. It was getting to go out to dinner, dinner with, with you, you right? <laughs> I, I was blackmailed. Yeah, I was, it was extortion, and. Uh, you know, it's not what drives me. I don't care to be famous. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't do what I do to be in the spotlight. And I think that, you know, if that's what someone likes, that's good for them. It's just doesn't, it's not what, 
you know, is doesn't work for me. Have you ever struggled feeling in that role, invisible, small? I'm fine being invisible. <laughs> no, yeah. I always, you know, it's like we have this joke, we'll go out to dinner. Everyone gets their meal but me because everyone's <laughs> looking at John, so my order never shows up. But it's, you know, that's the, that, that's, if that's the worst problem, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, you know, like we have a very blessed life. We are very, you know, life is what it is. It is. It's just that journey and you never know. And, and here we are. And what's the best advice you give to your kids as they set out to find partners who share same values and who want to kind of go the distance like you guys I, and, do, uh, and do meaningful work? Really? Well, I tell them that they should be friends first. I think that's important to, you know, you have to respect the person you're with. You have to love the person you're with. But I think you have to be friends with the person you're with. And share the same values? Yeah, yeah. Is that what you say? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, we like I said... <laughs> Many times we went to high school together. So Dorothy didn't join the roller coaster when I was him. Yeah. You know, she didn't know him, you know. Um, and so we've been through the ups and the downs of my career. And so that just gave us opportunity to do other things. And as we grew, we grew together. And that yeah. was very important. We grew together. So no matter what it is that we are blessed with now or the journey that we're on, we did it together. So it wasn't like she walked in off the street and I was, you know, that guy or, yeah. or, or I was sleeping on her couch for, you know, years before. So it was, that was an important factor. And we figured it out because there was no manual when you have kids, you know, they yeah. just <laughs> drop them off. Yeah. <laughs> now you're like, now what? And they're so all different. All of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we've learned all those things together. And, you know, we also, we, we went back home. You know, we, we knew not to go to a place that was unfamiliar to, you know, that we didn't think was right for us and, and that kind of part of our journey, too. So it continues to, to work. And they build homes and feed people and make them feel at home. And they are. And I'm so glad, Dorothea, that somehow you got dragged out because <laughs> yeah. I because I understand that this is your vision. I understand the work that you're doing. And I just wanted people to hear about that yeah. and you. join you. Well, and, it was uh, good to spend some time with you. Okay, now we're going to go to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yay. yay. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Meaningful Conversations. If you're looking for more inspiration and words of wisdom, then please sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Sunday Paper. It's free and it's good. So just visit my website, mariashriver.com, to subscribe. I hope you'll also check out my book, I've Been Thinking, and its new companion, I've Been Thinking, The Journal. Like this podcast, those books were created to help you on your path to a meaningful life. More details on my website about those as well. And thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to being in community with you again right here each Monday.